Thank you, uh, Eitan, for coming back to Eichlet so we can start again. It's now the second week that he's back, so we're really excited. And uh, finally, we can start our Eichlet again. So thanks for coming back. I'm honored. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. It's getting a joke that's a bit boring. But I do want to thank my dear wife, Shira, for everything she does. The uh, unlimited food that somehow just comes out of the kitchen and enters my stomach. That's another discussion. But uh, really, the, the amount of uh, like time and effort that goes on behind the scenes uh, is pretty incredible. Um, and that's because I'm, I'm somewhat involved. So uh, it's really, really amazing. And uh, thank God we're here. We have you here. And um, we're ready to go. So. Um, I do want to speak about dating at the beginning because that way you guys will listen. <laughs> otherwise, <laughs> otherwise, everyone will just fall asleep. You know, it's late at night, you've been working all day. So, but I do want to tie it into the Torah portion, the time of the year, and some ideas as well that we could take for life. So, when it comes to uh, Judaism, there is an idea that first impressions are very important. Uh, this is taught in Judaism itself, but even outside of Judaism, it's kind of logical. If you uh, give off a good first impression, it's going to have an effect of how somebody thinks of you in the long run. Uh, I'll never forget um, a friend of mine who had an interview, and he was in this uh, really important meeting, and uh, the one thing he didn't have was his tie, and everyone else was wearing a tie. And it was a very important meeting with a, um, for becoming a, a, a professional lawyer or you know, some big firm. And um, everyone, it was very official, it was a really big position that he was going to get. And everyone was wearing a tie. That one little thing of not wearing a tie, it had an effect on him. Now, that might seem stupid, um, but when it comes to life in general, the first impression really makes a huge difference. And, uh, you know, if you ask Shira what I said on the first date, yeah, she, please don't say anything. But, uh, yeah, I was, I was a complete idiot, you know. So, there goes my whole speech, you know, first impression. First, first impressions are not only about your first date. That's not really where the first impression starts. The first impression is in general, how someone gets to know you. The first date is very superficial. Hey, how are you? Right? But it, it takes a lot of time for that person to really get to know you. So over that period of time, there's, that you have a certain window of giving a first impression. And it's not just there. It goes on in everything. You know, in Jewish teaching, everything goes by the beginning. Uh, according to Jewish teaching, the beginning of a year has a huge impact in the whole year ahead of you. So when it comes to Rosh Hashanah, we have this idea that we have to be on our best behavior, and we, we, do, we get a little bit more stringent with all our Judaism. We don't say any sorries on Rosh Hashanah. Sorry for putting you to sleep. But we don't say any r sorries on Rosh Hashanah. We, all we say is, I want to have a good year. So we dip the apple in the honey, and we say, I want this to be a sweet year. And the Talmud says, Simana itpa milta, that all the little things that we do, all the little simanim, the signs that we do on the nights of Rosh Hashanah, where we take out pomegranates and we say we should be fruitful 
uh, with our mitzvot should be meleim kerimon. We should have as many mitzvot as the pomegranate seed, right? And then we go to the next thing. I don't know if you know about this, but there's a custom on the night of Rosh Hashanah. If you come to our Rosh Hashanah sales pitch right now, if you come to our Rosh Hashanah meal, then uh, you can get to know about all these things. So we we do. We have a little seder, and we take out all these different fruits, and all these different fruits have different uh, meanings. Honey is sweet, and uh, we dip the apple in the honey, so we say, let's have a sweet year. It seems like childish, almost. This is what you do in the first, the beginning of your year? Like, are you a kid? What's going on here? Who are you fooling? Oh, now that I dip my apple in the honey, I'm going to have a sweet year. And the person that didn't do it is going to have a bitter year. So what's, what's exactly behind that whole concept of Rosh? The idea is that we're instilling within ourselves just a little bit, that I want to have a good start it, within ourselves. It's a prayer also, but it's really an impression that I start off a new day. It's a new start. I want to start again. You know, humans sleep and um, we wake up the next day. It's like almost, it says in Jewish teaching that the morning is a etratzon. It's a time, a very powerful time for prayer. The morning is a very powerful time. Like there's a lot of rachamim in the world, mercy in the world. Why? Because everything comes back to life. God's putting loads of life back into the world. Right? We all wake up. Uh, some people don't wake up, but we wake up. So there's a, it's a certain energy in the atmosphere that we've got to grab onto. And uh, according to Jewish teaching, there's many animals that don't really sleep. Humans sleep. We sleep quite a lot. Some more than others. Uh, but we do sleep a lot. Right? <laughs> We do sleep a lot. There's animals that don't sleep. So why is it that humans sleep? What is the spiritual reason behind it? I know that you have a biological reason that you might know about, but I want to know the spiritual reason. Yes, it does give me... Because it allows me to forget the yesterday. Imagine everything was one long day. That would be such an unforgiving environment. Right? As is, everyone's depressed, right? Imagine you... Can you imagine one long day? You'll never forget what someone did to you three days ago, four days ago. I'll never forget as a little kid, I hurt myself. My teacher said, don't worry. I was crying. I was bitter. My teacher said, don't worry. Tomorrow, tonight you're going to sleep and tomorrow is going to be a new day. And, you know, it really was like that. Although it seems mundane, but it's true. The fact that we're able to sleep and start a new day in this darkness and light it's a gift from Hashem, from God, that we can relive, re-keep going, because life is hard. And the fact that we have that renewal, that renewal every single day keeps us going. We never give up. So beginnings are very important. What you do, by the way, at the beginning of the day has a huge impact on the rest of your day. It's a shame that we spend it on our phones, right? I'm talking to myself, right? It's a shame that we spend that first few minutes of the day on the phone, right? The best thing to do is, is to meditate, spend a few minutes, say, Moda'ani lefanecha. By the way, it's Moda'ani lefanecha, melechai v'kayamu, shechazat abi nishmati v'chemla rabai monotecha. The prayer that we say when we wake up is exactly the amount of time you need in order to stay in bed till you actually get up. According to uh, me, uh, some kind of scientific uh, medical uh, discovery, they say that the, it's not good to jump straight up from your sleep. Just like the sun doesn't just come up straight away because then it blinds you. Change can't happen straight away. 
So also with our bodies as well. Change can't happen straight away. When you wake up, you, you, you wait a few seconds. Exactly, if you say modani, which is what's meant to be said whilst you're on bed, it comes out to be the exact amount of seconds. I think it's 13 words. The exact amount of seconds that you need in order to actually stay in your bed uh, before you actually get up. So it's interesting. But the idea of renewal and how you set off your day from the beginning has a huge impact for the rest of your day. And it's like that also with kids. The way that we educate our children has a huge impact of how that child is going to be in the future. When you plant a seed in the ground, that seed, right, at the beginning, it's going to give you so much. It's going to give you a tree. It's going to give you everything. You know, if, you, if you move it, if you change the seed a little bit, that's going to completely change the entire tree. You can destroy the entire tree just by messing around with the, the beginning part, or even with a human being. Somebody does something tiny to the fetus at the beginning of pregnancy, it's something small that can have a huge impact to the baby, the person for the rest of their life. Because the beginnings are such a, an important aspect of the rest, of the future. It's like that with a child, it's like that with, you know, they say the way you educate your child is like growing a tree. When you grow the tree at the beginning, what happens? It's soft, right? The, 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 the bark or whatever it's called, the tree, is like you can move it. It's weak. But you can still move it. You can guide it. At some point, as long as it's still young, as long as the tree is still young, you can still guide the tree. And you should guide the tree. Don't just say, yeah, I'll let my tree do whatever it wants. Right? Silly, silly kind of parenting. You guide the tree. You make sure it grows in the right way. But at some point, the tree is going to come too strong. It's going to come too thick. You get what I'm saying? And then you can't change the tree. That's why, by the way, it's much, much better. According to Jewish teaching, it's, it's more um, encouraged for somebody to marry young. The younger you get married, the better. Now, I'm not saying at the age of 15, 14, okay? <laughs> Can't that? That's not what I said. But I'm just saying the younger someone gets married, and, and you know, the later it gets, the harder it becomes. Why? Because the stronger the tree becomes. Every year goes by, the tree comes thicker and thicker and thicker. And what happens is, I'm talking about ourselves, right? We come more firm with our ways. And it's much harder for us to bend and change for the other. But as long as that tree is young, the tree can move around. And that's why we let the tree grow. When we're, we're with our children, we let them grow. It's exactly like helping build a tree. We let the tree grow on its own. It's going to grow on its own. But we maneuver the tree until a certain point. There's going to be a certain point where the tree is going to go now on its own. And we can't. In, uh, on a deeper level, if you want the tree to change, you'll have to really cut it when it's really full after many years. You, you don't like the way the tree is going. What do you have to do? It's a painful process. You have to cut many branches and take out your chainsaw. Right? It's getting in the way here. It's getting, you have to do real things to change the tree when it's older. But as long as the tree is young, it's movable. Make sense? So, Hakol Rosh in Jewish teaching, everything goes back to the beginning. The beginning has all of you in it for the future, right? The first zygote that you, that you were, when you were, that had everything about you. It had your hair color, had the color of your eyes, it had all the information about you in that little speck. Tiny, tiny speck. 
but it had all of your information in it. It's mind-blowing. That's how the world works. And that's how it works also with work, with life, and with dating, and eventually with marriage as well. In marriage, in the, this week's Torah portion, we're actually taught that if somebody, if somebody takes a, a, a wife, he, he uh, marries somebody, the, the Jewish law is that he's not allowed to get into war for the first year. No battles and no wars for the first year. Hopefully there's no war ever. But if there is ever a war, and the Jewish people had to be in a war, the Jewish law is that if you're just newly married, you can't, uh, you can't, you can't be in the war. You have to stay at home. By the way, according to Jewish teaching, even in a sukkah, right? Sukkot is coming up. You can't even sleep in a sukkah in the first year of marriage unless your wife gives you permission. Interesting. We have a newlywed couple over here. That just, uh, yeah, right in the front. They have each other, so they're not shy to come to the front. Uh, but they, they somehow met through Eishlit, right? That's uh, unbelievable. One of the many, thank God. Hopefully by everybody else, we wish on all, everyone here, eventually to find your bashet, your spouse, your beautiful one. Only one, that's all we need, one. Right? Uh, we're not some strange uh, people out there. We're just one, just one. Hopefully, please God, for you all. So, uh, um, it's, you know, when, you, when you're newly married as well, you're not even allowed to sleep in the sukkah, even though there's a mitzvah, specifically for the men, to sleep in the sukkah. You're not meant to in the first year, unless there's specific permission from your wife, because it's the first year, it's very fragile. And it's very interesting when the Torah says and talks about the first year of marriage, and it's not just about marriage, this is also about many other aspects of life, but it says a very interesting message. It says, et ishto. He should make his wife happy. It doesn't say be happy with his wife. It says make your wife happy. What does that mean? It means that even if it doesn't make sense to you, it's a lot of times when it comes to, especially with couples, but with everybody, I don't, I don't think the way you think. You don't think the way I think. The way we are is very different. We, we, we don't think the same way. But if I buy a gift, I have to buy it thinking of you. If I do something, I have to think about do it in a way that thinks of you, how you think, not the way I think. I have a friend who, uh, as a joke, his dad brought his, you know, they were 30 years married, so he, as a joke, okay, calm down, don't get upset with me, because it's, it's a friend of mine. He's a good friend. Uh, but his dad, as a joke, after 30 years of marriage, he came in with a huge box, beautiful gift for his wife. And they, they were like, what is this? He had another gift hidden. But the first thing is he got this huge thing. And she opens it, and it's a bottle of scotch with her name on it. <laughs> She's like, what's this? This is for you, not for me. So... That's the way that we think also. A lot of times we think of the people around us in the way that I think. Make sense? That's my world. They're in my world. So I'm thinking of the people around me the way I think. The Torah actually says, um, this is a very important idea. There's also an idea. I don't know if you know about this mitzvah, this Jewish law. But a person uh, must not... Um, it says... That when you thresh, 
in the fields. You're not allowed to thresh in the fields with using an, a donkey and an ox at the same time. They can't both be plowing and pushing the, threshing the fields. So you've got a donkey and an ox, two different animals. There's a mitzvah in the Torah not to mix them together when they're working on the field. If you want to, if you want to plow the field, I know this is not relevant to today, but listen to the message here. It's unbelievable. So if you want to thresh your field, you have to use either two donkeys or two oxes. You can't have a donkey and an ox both threshing the field. Why? What's the reason behind it? Do you know? Sorry? Yes, something to do with eating. Who, anyone know? Um, well, what do you mean? He eats more. Okay, maybe he eats more, but then the Torah should also forgive, f- tell me that a big ox shouldn't work with a small ox. It doesn't say that. It says specifically an ox and a donkey. You're getting there. Something to do with food. The answer is like this. It's life-changing. It's an amazing idea. Stay with me. The ox chews its cud. Remember that thing? Chewing the cud? Okay, so the ox chews its cud. It eats. The food comes up. Ma'alegera. It eats, the food comes up, then it goes down, it comes up five times. The food, the animal does that, it has different stomachs. And it constantly is chewing its food. You know why? It's an animal of prey. And it's in hiding. A lot of times it needs to be in hiding. Those animals normally are the animals that chew their cud. So it constantly eats, chews, eats, same food. It's unfair for a donkey that does not chew its cud to stand next to it. They've got the same food in their stomach. They both have the same food. They were fed the same food. But it's unfair for the ox to constantly chew itself and chew and chew the same food whilst the donkey's like, where's that guy getting all that food from? <laughs> and there goes the reason why it's unfair to eat chewing gum. Andrew. Right? But it is unfair. It is unfair to chew gum if you don't have something to offer someone else. You're like, and the other guy's got nothing to eat. So, you know, you've got to offer them chewing gum too. Right? But... Uh, you get, the, you get the idea? You can't have... It's unfair if the ox is constantly eating the same food and the donkey's sitting next to it and he's like, hey, I want some of that. What's going on? Our rabbis say, on a deeper level, this is where I'm going to get to, which is unbelievable. On a deeper level, even if it's all in the mind of the donkey, reality is, I could say, they both have the same amount of food. I fed them the same amount. Who cares? whether the donkey feels different than the ox. Who cares how they feel? I gave them the same amount of food. It doesn't matter. Because if in the mind of the donkey, he's thinking that way, and in the mind of the donkey, he's in pain, seeing his friend eating, even though it's the same food, that's still something that we need to be worried about. The Torah says, still, don't allow the donkey and the ox to eat together. Make sense? Right? Even if it's only in the mind of the donkey, it's the same in a relationship as well. If you want a relationship to work, one of the first aspects of the relationship is not think of the relationship in your side of things. Think of it from their side of things. Oh, but why are they upset? It doesn't make sense. Why are they? It doesn't make sense. It doesn't matter if it doesn't make sense to you. It matters that it doesn't make sense, that it makes sense to her or to you to him, right? 
It doesn't matter whether it's logical or you can give reasoning for it or not. If that person's in pain, we have to understand that person's in pain. Make sense? It's like the Duncan Young. So, that is the message uh, when it comes to dating. If you want to be a superstar, whether it's in dating or marriage, you have to remember two things. One is that the first impressions are really important. The first year is important. The first date is important. The first business meeting is important. Every time you meet somebody, the first time is really important. Always the beginnings are extremely important. They are the DNA of the rest of your day. They are the DNA of how you're going to be in the future. And if you change, you manipulate the, the beginnings, you're going to change the whole future. That's why Rosh Hashanah is so important that we don't have negative thoughts. The mitzvah is not to get angry on Rosh Hashanah on the New Year. Don't even get angry. What do you mean? I, I, I want to get angry now. No, eat, on a normal time, get angry, but now don't. Why? Because it's the beginning. And beginnings have such an impact in your whole future. By the way, Yom Kippur, we don't even do yet. We only do that afterwards. Saying sorry. and No, 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 nothing. Right now, we're just going to focus on positive, change, good, right? New, beginning, future. Afterwards, we start looking backwards and say, how can we change? Make sense? Okay. So uh, that's about... Uh, relationships but I do want to also talk for a few more minutes um, I say a few minutes and then I go on for like half an hour <laughs> but uh, I do want to speak about a few minutes about the concept of how we battle within ourselves because that's really what we're in right now this is the time that we're in we're in the time of Elul going into Rosh Hashanah and it fits into this week's Torah portion as well which is called Kitetze. you can always trust Gabe which means when you come out. What does that really refer to? There's a very interesting story, very interesting story in the Torah, that during the time of war and battle, there would be captives. There would be many, many captives. And the Torah actually says that during battle, this is brought down in Maimonides, that if there's nothing to eat and the soldiers... In those days, when you were in battle, you were questioning whether you're going to live the next minute or not, right? It was the worst. They would fight with no energy left at the end of the day. They were finished in the worst conditions. And at the end of the day, they might end up in some faraway land um, fighting this battle. Just one second. Where's Neil? They might end up in a faraway land fighting some kind of battle. And uh, they would be hungry. There's no food. The Torah says that they can actually even eat non-kosher. If they, that's all they have, they can even eat the non-kosher food. And there is a case that the Torah talks about, which is very, very interesting. It's hard to wrap your head around. When there's, in times of war back then, there would be a harlotry. A lot of women that would give themselves up, stand on the side... And they knew that they were getting into a, ba a battle, so they would say, you know, let's try and seduce them into being with me. And people, many people that were in the battle would fall into this situation. They would fall, they'd see, you know, you're fighting all day. Vishavita Shivyo, the, the Torah talks about this directly. It says that if you go out to a war and there was a battle and you have captives 
And there's people that were giving them, and you fell in a trap. You fell with them. The Torah says that you can't be with them if you've been with them once. Wait one month. Don't. A very interesting story. It's hard to wrap your head around this story, but this is what the Torah teaches me. That if there is a captive and the soldier is there and he's facing this girl that gives itself to him and he falls in the trap with her, the Torah says, wait one whole month. Let us stay in the house. Have you heard of this story before? Captive or the soldiers? The girl. The soldiers were the Jewish soldiers. They would go in battle. Oh, and the girl was captive. The girls are, there would be these girls that were captives. And the Torah says that you shouldn't do this, right? You shouldn't, uh, this is something against Jewish law uh, completely. But if this would happen, that someone would fall in the trap. He's been in battle, he's been in war, and he would fall in the trap. She's giving herself to him and he'd fall with her. So, uh, the Torah says that he shouldn't, the second time, he should wait before he considers maybe marrying this person. He says he should wait. Wait one whole month. Have her stay in your house for one month. Make her grow her hair. Don't be with her. And really listen to her. Listen to where she's from. Listen to her story. And she'll cry. She'll say, I miss my parents. I miss my father and mother for a whole month. So this is the, this is the story that the Torah gives. A very interesting story that would happen at times of battle. And the Talmud says, The Torah says that the Torah is really speaking against the internal Yetzirah, the evil inclination that we have. It's really talking to the evil inclination. It says after that, if someone does marry such a woman, they will have terrible children that will come out of it. They'll eventually have problems. Right? You don't marry like that. That's not the way you get married. So... The Torah actually does say that many, many problems will happen. But the Torah also, it's a fascinating thing that the Torah recognizes that humans have temptations. And it actually puts it in the book. It's a, it, a very interesting thing that there is a time where temptations can happen. And it says, if you fall, know that there many, if you stay in this situation, many problems can come from it. But also... You have a month to think and rethink. This is actually referring to the month of Elul. And it says, When you come out, you're going to be in a battle. What battle is it talking about? The battle of life. Every single person that comes into this world fights a battle. When you come out, you have a battle. What is it against the Yitzhah? Here, let me ask you a question. It's a very interesting idea. The Torah says, the Talmud says, I want to ask you, what's older? The inclination to do good or the inclination to do bad? The desire to do good. Which one is stronger in me? The desire to do good or bad? Bad. Bad? Good. Good, stronger? Bad, good. Good, Take a poll. Actually, no, it, wouldn't it be good because everything in its origin is good by nature? Right? Everything was for the good. True, true. True. What came first? The evil inclination came first. The Talmud says like this. The, call the evil inclination, by, this, by the way, it's, there's nothing really, like you said, evil or good. But it's a tendency towards doing evil. Even though we know in our minds that it's not something that you should be doing. It says that there's three 
things that you can consider the Yetzirah. It's a melech, a kasil, a fool. It's a king. It's a fool. And the third thing is, it says melech, ksil, and uh, what was it? Zaken, an elderly one. It's old. Why is it a king? It's a king because it, if it does win over me, it becomes the king. It rules over me. Every time I fall to the trap of the Yitzhah, the inclination, I say, ah, let's sleep in. Who won? The king. He comes the king. Right? Every time the Yitzhah wins, the inclination to do something that I don't really want to do. My mind says, don't do it. I smoke. I say, no, why am I doing this? Right, it's smoke a cigarette. Who's the king? My inclination, the Yitzhah. Then it says, it's also a fool. Why? Gabe, why is it a fool? Yetzirah is full. Why is it a fool? Because it thinks it can win. Mm, I never heard that one, but yeah, maybe that's a good answer. That's a good answer. It does think it can win, because we know that you will win it. You will win it. Why is it a fool? Because it makes us do the most foolish of things. Oh, this is the best. Right? It's the best thing for me. It's going to change your life. It gives you this idea. Right? And, then, and then what? The enjoyment lasts for one second, and then that's it. Right? It's going to be the best thing. If you think about it, when it comes to the physical world, if it's just for this world, there's no pleasure that can really satiate me. Everything that I have, no matter what I take, eventually, it, it's exciting, then it dies off. And then I work again, I try and get it, I get it, then it dies off. And the better it is, the, less, the, the shorter it lasts. When it comes to the physical world, whatever it is that I'm trying to achieve, if it's just that, it doesn't last. That's why so, if you want to have something which will make you happy, you've got to look for things that will last long. There's a difference between a relationship where it's just to date versus a relationship that considers marriage and eventually leads to marriage. There's a whole different feeling to that relationship. One will make you happy, one won't. The marriage will make you happy. Right? <laughs> because it's something about long term. If the things that you're doing is for short term, it doesn't last. It's the short term, long term happiness. The more long term something is, the more happiness you will get from it. Okay, so it's a fool. Because it makes me do things that don't even... What is it? Yay, let's run. And then what? Boom. I get it. Then I achieve, I achieve it. Then what? Right? It doesn't last long. That's why it's a fool because it makes me do things that, if you think about it, what is it already? I'm so excited about what? I, yes, you're right. You should have got into an argument. They, they hurt your feelings. Don't talk to them ever again. It was terrible what they did. And you, you build in yourself this whole feeling of anger and Paying towards someone because they didn't answer you, they didn't invite you, they didn't speak to you correctly, they didn't say. And this whole world is being built in your mind. What is it? A ksil, it's a foolish world. That's what it says. And then the last thing is it's old. Why is it old? Because it starts from the day you're born. From the minute that you come out, you're in a battle. Even as a little kid, as a little kid, children are innocent. They don't do it for, purposely. They don't have the mind, the conscious mind to, do, to, 
to um, choose good. But naturally, uh, they, their tendency is to take, to focus on themselves, right? As a child, I could be sleeping at four in the morning. All of a sudden, the door comes wider. My kid has learned the trick of opening the door with a lock. They use a knife. I'm telling you today, Abraham has been running around with a knife, plastic, a plastic knife. He told me it's a plastic one. And he manages to unlock the door. Unlock my bathroom. I'm like, ah! This is all today. This is, by the way, this is what happens before Attack of Tuesday. Like, there's a whole world. There's a whole world that goes on. They're not in school yet. They're back to school soon. soon. So, um, but they, they manage to open the... So, from a young age... A child can cry at 3, 4 in the morning, call your name and say, hey, daddy, I just want a, a drip of water. <laughs> right? And I go get some water, they drink a sip. That's what you woke me up for? They, they don't have an awareness of their surroundings. As they get older, they start thinking about their surroundings. But at the beginning, they don't have an awareness of their surroundings. So, hey, dad, they wake me up 4 in the morning. As you get older, you realize, wait, wait, dad's sleeping. I can't wake him up. So the beginning, a child is, has in him much stronger the Yetzirah. And what does it say? When you go out to war on your enemies, your many enemies. I thought we just said that the evil inclination is one enemy. But it pushes me in a way that makes me think it's a whole world. It's impossible, like with Adam and Eve. What did, what did the, the snake say? Oh, you can't just, not only can you not eat, eat from this tree, you can't even touch it, which is not true. You can't, it makes up a whole, it makes it so much harder, it's impossible. And it seems like many things, it's like a mountain of challenges, it's impossible to do this. Uh, it's impossible for me to get along with these people. Why? Maybe it is, maybe it is. Right? It's impossible for me to overcome my laziness, it's impossible for me to get up. No, maybe it is. It is possible. That's what Hashem says in this week's Torah portion. It seems impossible. And what will Hashem do? He will give it singular form. At the end of the day, you'll realize that it's just one little thing called the Yetzirah. And you can overcome it. There's no such thing in this world as a challenge that you can face that you can't overcome. According to Jewish teaching... There's no such thing as a challenge that you can't overcome. The rabbis say, and I'll finish with this. Do you know what it's like? It's like a king that has a daughter. And he wants her to marry. He wants her to get married. And everybody's saying, hey, I want, I want to marry your daughter. Right? The princess, I want to marry her. Please give it to me. Hundreds of men are running to the king's palace saying, hey, I want to marry you. So eventually the king says, I don't know, everyone seems great, but I don't know who's the right one. So what does he decide to do? Rapunzel. He builds this huge tower. He puts his daughter in in the middle. And he says, whoever's able to come through and get this, get my daughter, is the one that can marry her. Okay, it's a mashal, it's a parable. Okay, no no thinking that's a real story. But anyone who can get through this mount, this tall, tall, you can marry her. What's the address? No. <laughs> and he said, but you can't, use it. you can't use any tools. You can't use a ladder. Nothing. You can just, yourself, without any tools. If you can get into the building, tall wall, 
you can marry it. And everyone's trying, they're looking, they're trying to find the right screws. No, we can't use screws. They're trying to get in, they're looking around from all different angles. Maybe there's a way. No one can get in. Perfect wall. There's one guy that says to himself, wait a second, if the king says I need to get into that wall, if the king says that you can get in there without tools and someone can do it, then there must be a way. There has to be a way. Otherwise, why would the king command it? It's not impossible. The king said you should do it. So it must be a way that there's, there's got to be a way to do it. He said without tools, without ladder. There's got, otherwise, why would he say it? He decides to take a run. He walks a mile back and he starts running towards the wall. Runs, 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 runs. Goes straight through the wall. It's just paper. He discovers that it's just paper. That's how it is in Judaism as well. The Yetzirah, the evil inclinations, is impossible. Shabbat, Judaism, impossible. I have people that always tell me, Judaism is just impossible. You've got kosher. You've got Shabbat. You've got this. You've got this. It's just impossible. You've got to marry a Jewish girl. Just like, it's impossible. I ain't doing it. It's true. You might think it's impossible. But when you actually walk through it, you realize that it really is doable. Shabbat, doable. Kosher, doable. And what do you get from it? You get the daughter of the king. What does the king say? You can do it. I promise you, you can do it. What does the Yitzhak say? What does the Yvonne Kanesha say? Ah, it's too big. It's too hard. It's too difficult. Hashem says, I will give it, not all of it. The beginning, the Yitzhak says, there's so much, it's too much. And Hashem says, I will give it. By the way, that's also a way that a person grows. A person grows Jewishly by saying it. Today I'm going to do this. Tomorrow I'm going to do this. Tomorrow I'm going to. Do... You don't have to think of the entire thing, the entire spectrum. You don't have to finish everything. But the way a Jewish person grows and the way that we think of growth is each thing. Shwaya, shwaya. That's actually Arabic. Each thing, one bit at a, one bit at a time, one bit at a time. And eventually you'll get to do everything completely. So my blessing to you all is that um, you understand the power of beginnings. You have a great beginning this year of Rosh Hashanah and a great new day tomorrow at work. A great uh, uh, business meeting whenever you do have a new one. Hopefully you don't have to. Uh, but if it's, uh, if it's about a few million dollars, then, then maybe you should. And it should go well if you give off the right vibes. Remember, the first impressions are really important. The first year of your relationship is really important. And for everybody else, when, when you go into your first year of relationship, that is a very important time. Beginnings are important. And also, never forget that if you're able to overcome your evil temptations, the temptations to do wrong you will then be a more free person. Somebody who has no boundaries in life is somebody that's not free. It's the person that has the right boundaries of life that can really be called a free human being when they're able to say, I know this is in my mind, this is not what I should be doing and I'm not going to follow my body. I know that this is not, and I'm going to overcome. By the way, Judaism is not against enjoying this world. It's only because we want you to enjoy the world in the most enjoyable way possible that we actually say that certain things shouldn't be done. It's only in order that we should have the best and most enjoyable life that's possible in this world. And for instance, dating. In, Jew in Jewish teaching, we know that a person 
as long if the more they get, the more physical they get before marriage with whoever they date, the, the longer it's going to be for that person to find the right one. Judaism is very into making sure that you wait till marriage. You might say, oh, that's old-fashioned or whatever. But the guarantee, I'll tell you, it's a guarantee. When somebody's always exposed all the time to many people and they're physical with them, so why should I look for someone that's permanent? Why should, I'm comfortable right now. I, I, you, you start looking, you don't look beyond the physical. The physical right now feels good. Who cares about future? But somebody who is able to be shomer, to God himself, then, and, and wait for the right relationship before they actually uh, in any way get physical, right? wait till marriage, that person can actually hold, he, he's guaranteed to get married earlier. Not, not for sure, but at least, right, there's always an exception, to, there's an exception to every rule. I was just thinking, I was saying guaranteed, there is an exception to every rule, but the, 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 the system that you're in is going to push you to a direction that would hold, that would get you in that right to path. Because when somebody's always physical, oh, four years, five years with this person, till I realize it's, it's not even for me. She's not for me. But for these five years, I was enjoying the physical aspects. And I was just... So, according to, that's another, just an example, where if somebody's able to overcome the temptations for the right person, they're also going to be able to have the right person for the rest of their life. It's going to bring themselves to a moment which is closer. At least they're in the right path to getting the right person for life. Not just a uh, friend mate, but a soul mate. Right? A body mate, but a soul mate. That's what, we, that's what we should be looking for. Anyway, so uh, are there any questions, ideas, or thoughts anyone want to share? I have thought. Yes. Um, I was just kind of like a person who was just talking about the Yitzhahara. Uh-huh. Um, that like, you were saying like, we can defeat it, but at no point do we really like, defeat it for good. It's always there and it always comes back. And I guess that just kind of like, I feel like there's another little lesson there where like, that kind of like mirrors life a little bit where, um, you know, chap- the, the goal isn't the goal, right? The goal is to fight. And the goal, it seems to me, for the Yitzhahara is the fight. It's to always beat the Yitzhahara and level up, you know? So exactly. That's just kind of like something that occurs in that That's beautiful. And you're right. It, it, it says that you never ever, till the end of your life, you can never trust yourself, that you've overcome yourself yeah. completely. The greater you become, the more likely you can fall. But I will tell you something. You can take yourself... You will always be in a battle with your even connection. But the question will be, what questions are you asking? You see, there could be a rabbi that could be asking, uh, should I give charity or not? There, should be, there could be a very holy rabbi that could be asking, how much should I be giving to charity? Not just should I be giving to charity, but how much? There's different levels of what I'm asking. And there's some people that should, should I steal or should I not steal? The question isn't, are you in a battle? If you're in a battle, you're alive. Everyone's in a battle. The question is, what kind of battle are you in? And the way that you grow, a person grows. 
Every day you grow, you make different choices and you grow, you become a better person. Hopefully, you know, when you're 16, the way you were thinking then is very different than the way you're thinking now, right? Because you grew. So as each year goes by, you make different choices in life and you start having an understanding of things in a different way. The question isn't, are you in a battle? The question is, right, the Yitzhara is always going to be there. The question is, what kind of questions are you asking yourself? What's the battle that you're fighting today? Some, some people are fighting, should I kill this person or kill this person? Well, that's not a good battle to be in. Right? Some people are, should I beat him up or should I fight with that person? It's a better battle to be in. Still not good. And some people are asking, how much charity should I give? What bracha should I make? Did I say the blessing in the wrong way because uh, I said twice in the same name of Hashem? And yeah, now I know you're in a good place. A year ago, you were never asking me that question. Right? You ne- that, whoever it is that asked me that today. You never asked me that question a year ago, two years ago. You never asked me that question two years ago. Right? So it shows where the questions you're asking and you're fighting shows what kind of level of a, of a person that you are and where you're holding. But you will always be fighting. Yeah, we've got Michael at the back. Yeah, Rabbi, you said when you're a child, the Yitzhah is the strongest and you made two analogies that I think that kind of contradict that. You said that... When a tree is early, you know, when its roots aren't strong, the bark isn't strong, you know, so we get more rooted as we get older. Yes. And you were talking about the person who ran through the, the wall, right? And a little child doesn't have any barriers, they have ultimate imagination, right? But as we get older, we get more set in a way. So I would argue that if we become more like a child who's innocent and more open to the world and more loving of everything around us, it's easier to comprehend. So you're right that a child doesn't have a Yetzirah Tov. His Yetzirah is very small. We, we, according to Jewish teaching, the holiest prayer comes from a child. Why? Because they never sinned. They never did anything wrong. They're so innocent. It's called Tashpat. The children, their prayers are the holiest prayers in Jewish teaching. We want to hear, by the way, if you ever, we always on Shabbat, Shira always makes sure that all the kids, at least then, always, they say, even Avraham, Shir, shir, hamalot. He doesn't know what he's saying. But those words have a huge impact. We believe that the words of a child that's innocent, they could change the world. So you're right that the child's more pure. The child's more innocent. That's true. But the child doesn't yet have a yetzahatov because he's not conscious yet. In terms of knowing right over wrong, he has to be taught. Right? True over false. He has to be taught, don't do this, do this, don't do this, stop, right? All the time. But he doesn't yet know the difference between true and false. Make sense? So what, and it's true that is, he's, very, very, he's very light. His yetzara is very, it's not strong. Everything's innocent. But all he has right there is temptations. He's working only off instincts. Uh, only off temptations to take, to eat, to... He doesn't think beyond that. There is a certain sense of compassion in children. There's for sure all of that. But it's coming from his purity, not from his conscious, uh, his decisions that he actually makes uh, to overcome. They don't go through that until they get to bar mitzvah age. Make sense? So they, they still could be maneuvered at a young age. And they should be. If you're a parent, you should maneuver your child 
grow the tree with a stick next to it to make sure it doesn't go in the wrong direction. That is important. Yeah, Kevin. So we had a conversation recently in which you were telling me that if you go about your life without any sort of spiritual self-discipline, you do whatever you want, you say whatever you want, you know, you sleep with this person, you do those drugs, you choose whatever path you think is best. Exactly. You think you're very free, but in fact, you, you're a slave to your desires because you are capitulating to your desire every time they come up. Yep. And you touched on that briefly in um, your, your talk tonight, but I was hoping you could extrapolate. So I, I said that the Yetzirah, the inclination to do wrong, is called a melech, a king. And the reason that it's a king is because whenever I listen to it, it now rules over me. It becomes my ghost that now takes over me. And although at the moment that I'm in the moment and I'm enjoying myself and I'm having that freedom that I think I'm having, I might think I'm more free, but in the long run, I'm not free of my temptations. I'm not free of my inner, uh, my, my external inner self. Right? I'm not free of that Yetzirah that's part of now become part of me. It's like somebody who's on a diet and decides to stop eating candy and chocolate and cake. And he says, that's it, I'm done. My story of my life. That's it, I'm done. I'm not having chocolate, I'm not having candy. And uh, that day they see, they, they, they did a great day. Nighttime comes, right? This, anyone resonate? Comes night and there it goes. You see the chocolate, you see the candy. You're like, oh, right? And then you have it. So what would you say? The whole day he's been not free. He's been suffering. He's been willing desperately to eat that chocolate. Finally, the end of the day comes. Boom. He has it. That's it. He's free. You might say that. It's true. He's free of the desire because now, at least for now, he's free of the desire because now he's eating the the chocolate and he's eating the cake finally. And you're like, wow, he's more free. But he's not free of his temptation. Who's controlling him? That part of himself that is saying, eat the candy, eat the candy. He's not in control of himself. That's the most unfreeing experience. When I know that I'm not, I'm not in control of my inner self, it's a painful experience. How does that person feel the next day? Oh, I'm so annoyed with myself. I can't control myself. I hate life. I hate myself. I hate this. Right? It starts off with realizing I can't control myself. So I'm worthless. Lack of self-confidence. It throws in a whole list of problems. Because I look at myself and say, I didn't control myself. Who's I and who's myself? I is my Yetzirah Tov, knowing that I shouldn't be doing this, fighting my Yetzirah. You can call it whatever you want, right? Which says that it's not something I should be doing. Uh, there's something I should be doing, right? Yetzirah says, do it. And my Yetzirah Tov says, don't do it, don't do it. In my case, it's my wife that says, don't do it. Yeah. <laughs> but also my Yetzirah Tov. Anyway, yeah. What is happening? Like, what's happening that someone is coming in the next day and being like, I'm an idiot, I shouldn't have done that, or whatever? Because cause what I'm hearing you say is like it's kind of coming from them internally, but that sounds to me like there's external factors in their environment that is increasing the shame for whatever they did. Well, you know, there is a concept of embracing, you know, like, okay. Let's embrace the fact that I ate too much sugar and let's embrace the fact that I, uh, 
you know, I, I am doing whatever I want and this, this is just guilt, this is just guilt. We could tell ourselves that. This is just guilt, this is guilt. But let's say that to myself after I constantly, constantly am doing that, okay? Um, this is just guilt. So let, even if I, if I celebrate the fact that I eat sugar, right? Celebrate it, celebrate it, celebrate it. At the end of the day, at some point, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be in pain, right? Someone's, the doctor's going to tell me, dude, you've got to stop with the sugar, right? So at some point, I'm going to hear that voice coming in. That's not guilt. That's my health. So it's, it's, you know, ever since Adam ate from the tree, it was called the tree of? Knowledge. Right, there was the tree of knowledge versus the tree of life. He ate from the tree of knowledge. But it's, knowledge is a bad translation. It's called da'at in Hebrew. Da'at, there's chokhmah. Well, you translate chokhmah. There's chokhmah, bina, and da'at. There's three parts to the human brain. The right part of your brain is chokhmah. That's information that comes in, ideas. Bina is the analytical part of your brain. And da'at is the part of the brain that connects to your emotions. So, you say to yourself... Okay, I, uh, I really want, I want to eat something sweet right now. Then your mind says, wait a second, you can't do it. You, you've got to really understand it's unhealthy. So your, your other side of your mind is saying, don't do it. Because logically, it ma- makes sense not to do it. Then the body itself has, has desires. The body likes how it feels. It wants to feel good. Okay? So the body and the, all the parts of your body is connected to the Yetzirah. When Adam ate from that tree, when Adam ate from that tree, he was actually connected. That's what that means, to be connected to the, to the, the draw to do bad. It's part of you. So this is according to Jewish teaching. People might tell me this is all, uh, we're just polluting your mind. But it's not true. Because at the end of the day, the results are the same. I'll give you an example. Okay, I decide that cigarette smoking is bad for me. True, cigarettes is bad for me. Cigarettes. So anyone here thinks that cig- smoking cigarettes is good for you? Weeds is good for you. No, I'm joking, right? <laughs> cigarettes. Cigarettes. Anyone here thinks that cigarettes is good for you? It's not bad. Okay, so cigarettes is not bad in moderation. Okay. Okay. It's only society Le- telling us it's bad. Society telling us it's bad. <laughs> Let me ask you a question. Rabbi Tatz, Rabbi Kiva Tatz gives an example. Have you heard of this example? Maybe. Uh, Rabbi Kiva Tatz gives an example. Somebody, true story. He had lung cancer. It was smoking. The doctor said, you've got to stop. He didn't stop. They said, in the years from now, if you don't stop, it's, you're getting constant uh, uh, problems in different parts of your body, we're going to have to cut your, amputate your arm. Eventually, they cut off, they cut off his, his arm. They told him, if you continue smoking, it's going to affect your legs as well. It's affecting, it's spreading everywhere. Your infection is going into your legs. We're going to have to remove your legs. Eventually, they cut, true story, they got rid of his legs. He's still smoking. He says, this is, it's not good. <laughs> Eventually, the guy was literally hanging. They told him you have a two or three days to live. He's literally hanging on a thin thread. He had to have someone else hold the cigarette for him as he's outside of the hospital on a wheelchair. Somebody else, and he's still smoking. Now, you tell me, how could somebody who's come to the conclusion that this is totally bad for me, 
not only has come to the conclusion, come to the knowledge that it's bad for me, still do it. It's an addiction. What's complex? To say that, oh, you can just stop. So, no, I'm not judging him. I'm not judging him. But I'm definitely saying that there's a disconnect between what the mind says. He knows. Now, the guy himself was talking about this. Rabbi Tats gives a story. He was talking about it and saying he doesn't want to do it. So you're saying, good, there's, there is an addiction. But the mind knows that this, this is the worst thing. I'm losing my legs. I'm losing my arms. There's many people that were addicted and they managed to quit. The mind, if he didn't have the cigarettes available, he wouldn't do it. So the mind knows that this is something that's the worst thing for me. This is terrible, yet there's a draw to do it. That's the confusion that we have after we ate from the tree of knowledge. Before we ate from the tree of knowledge, Jewish teaching understands that when I know that it's bad for me, I, I wouldn't do it no matter how addicting, how addictive it is. I will never touch it. It's bad for me. My mind comes to the conclusion. The dat comes to the conclusion that it's wrong. I wouldn't be connected to it in a way which would still make me want to do it. Because the Yetzirah wasn't part of me. So to answer the question, according to Jewish tradition, is that there is inside of us, okay, a connection to the physical draw, to physicality. Our mind can tell us, no, we can come to the realization that this is bad for me, this is wrong. I know, not because of guilt, because I truly know. I'm sitting in a hospital, God forbid, someone's sitting in a hospital. I know this is wrong, yet I'm still drawn to do it. That's the eternal. So that's, that's not a guilt. Because a guilt would be a situation where I'm not feeling the pain. There's times, many times, where people feel the suffering, they feel the problem, and they're still eating. They're still going through the sugar. They're still hurting themselves. And that's the mess up that happened after the eating of the, after the eating of the etzadah, which is what we're trying to fix. Anyway, there's a, there's a lot behind philosophy and ideas behind Adam and Eve and exactly what happened with the tree. It's amazing. It can teach you a lot about life. But... That's generally the, the concept. It's not guilt. That's what we would believe. There's a truly deep sense of connection to something which is wrong versus doing something which is right. When the mind tells me, wait a second, this is, this is the right path to take. Any other questions? We're good? All right. Have a great, great night. You guys are amazing. Thanks for being here.